On today's Mocha Live podcast, admittedly, a lot goes on. The idea for this pod was that Coburn and I would begin by talking about Apple's new Vision Pro headset, which we do, and then we talk about how it opens the way to the utopic versions of crypto art we individually have imagined. An airy, pretty topic. What happened instead was, well, a lot more dire than that. This is one of those podcasts where I just had to throw away all my pre-written notes and just go with the tide. Coborn is a virtuosic mind when it comes to identifying the ills inherent in a given system, and through the course of our conversation today, he takes me more or less to town on the vast potential consequences of an AR-VR world as brought to you by Apple. If you wanted to listen to a podcast where Coborn was entirely in his bag, this is the one. And if you wanted to listen to a podcast for some reason full of me stammering, this is a good one for that too. Just a few notes before we begin. One, we invite, encourage, and formally request that you please visit fundraiser.museumofcryptoart.com and read about the enormous project that we're putting together. I'll let the details and the site speak for themselves, but I just want to emphasize that you are a really important part of everything we do at Mocha, and we sincerely hope that this fundraiser will include your unique fingerprint. Thanks. And lastly, and believe me, this brings me no joy to talk about, these last few weeks, I may or may not have been saying, and without further adieu, as in adieu French for goodbye, instead of and without further adieu in these podcast intros, which is deeply embarrassing, but also I think too funny not to point out. So enjoy that while it lasted. And now, without further ado, the Mocha Live podcast. Good evening, everybody. It is 5.09 p.m. EST here in smoky Brooklyn, New York. Uh, my name is Max Cohen. I'm the lead writer for the Museum of Crypto Art, and this is the Mocha Live podcast. Uh, joining me as he does every week, the founder of the Museum of Crypto Art up in smoky Kingston, New York, Colborn Bell. You uh, breathing okay up there, my guy? Yeah, staying inside as much as possible. It's pretty crazy, huh? I know it's like the topic on it's all over social media and it's everyone's texting everybody about it, but it, it's still pretty wild to experience like degraded atmosphere. It is different. That's for sure. I, I, this has happened a couple of times in my life. Um, what in California, California, and then just like spending some time in India as well. Yeah. It's brutal, man. It's, it's in my eyes. It's in my nose. It's in my head. You can just feel it. Yeah, it's crazy. Headaches. My, I walked home from a yoga class yesterday outside for 15 minutes at night and my eyes were like bloodshot and stinging. It's, uh, it's not so much fun to be in the most polluted city in the world at this point in time, but here we are anyway. A perfect reason to stay inside and talk about art, right? Totally. Another great reason to stay inside and talk about art, how was that for a segue, is uh, that a couple of days ago, uh, Apple announced their Vision Pro headset which is kind of the first overture from like the mainstream fang tech world um, to really be bringing VR, AR to like the mass market. Obviously Facebook had Oculus, but even that was a little bit more niche. That technology was never really designed to be, in my estimation, anything but 
for VR enthusiasts. But here comes this Vision Pro. It has AR, it has VR. It's as like snappily marketed as any Apple product can be. And it has, according to its advertisements, a whole host of different features um, for use in use cases ranging from total VR to being at work, you know, AR helpfulness. Uh, it, it's, it was quite a reveal. And what that says to me as a person who's been thinking for years really deeply about how crypto art is going to interact with AR and VR technology is this is going to force us to have conversations about what kind of a place digital art is about to have in all of our lives. Because if this technology does spread, become as accessible uh, as Apple, I think, is in a position to make it, then digital art can be staged and seen and appreciated in digitally native environments really for the first time, uh, which is pretty wild. Uh, Colborn, I'd just love to get your thoughts on, I don't know, the conversations around the reveal of Vision Pro and, and kind of what you feel about it before we go forward. This one is really mixed bag for me, you know, because... Uh, when I when I was first getting into the space in 2020, the big allure to me was like going into VR insomnium space and having everything in spatial 3D surroundings. And this, you know, what we were bringing out of those environments and sharing was what was so magnetic and popular to begin with, right? But once like that aesthetic became kind of normalized. It was it was different, right? Because the we were showing kind of like a visual innovation that was moving beyond crypto voxels, which was voxel and browser based into kind of this and presenting art in this way that was. But then like 2021, 2022 felt like more of a degradation back into just like the PFP. And again, this two dimensionality of experiencing the art. There was like a big movement for a while into 3D objects and oddly that went nowhere. So, you know, that people are reignited and reawakened to the conversation by a product that has been in development for eight years, right? That meta, as you said, with the Oculus and Oculus 2, which I have, you know, like right here and I use them and, and I like them. Yeah, I remember when I... I had obviously been, I had visited the museum in Somnium space uh, when I had come aboard, but it was visiting you at the church and putting on the headset, the Oculus headset, and really kind of walking through that environment where I really felt for the first time that there was this whole kind of aspect of crypto art and digital art in general that we weren't as a whole accessing. And it wasn't just the 3D um, objects themselves, but it was just the immersion of these environments and we've seen that elsewhere in these various virtual worlds right from hyperfi like the exhibitions we do therein um to the kinds of galleries that people are doing in deca and on cyber and uh you know all the things that like gin and m3 and uh, webiverse are doing there's so much virtual world development but there's never been virtual world access and it's going to be i think similarly to how when people found the blockchain found the ability to put digital art in the blockchain. There was this explosion of aesthetic artist, like actual artistry as people became more comfortable with the technology. It's going to be a very similar pattern should VR AR be adopted this widely, right? We're going to see so much more experimentation, so much more. But, uh, I mean, look, you're, you're absolutely right. I just, I am still at a loss for like, what are we 
going to do, right? The whole thesis was that digital artists should be building these worlds and they shouldn't be like hyper-commercialized and venture capital shouldn't get in there and drive products. And like that, frankly, is is what I feel like has been kind of co-opted and taken over because for 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 sure, like somebody sent me a quote today, basically that if it's like, you know, if it's not accessible and it's not for everybody, then it's not a revolution. Right. And I think that's kind of like the major pushback, of course, on, on the vision pro is that it's like $3,500. Like who is this for? When I spoke to uh, Philip Rosedale, the second life founder last year for um, my brief history of virtual values essay, one of his like big points was that the revolution of the smartphones was not the functionality they had. It was that they could be produced cheap enough to get into five or six billion people's hands. Right. right. That was the revolution was of the access and the distribution. Um, but the vision pro isn't for the masses because I don't think VR AR is for the masses yet. Um, it's still such a big ask to ask people to put on these clunky futuristic goggles. I mean, and all the things that this technology you know brings with it, right? Not just VR AR, but also you know the AI aspects of it, the AI aspects that like scan your face and create scale models of your face for FaceTime. People aren't on the whole, I think the layperson is not comfortable with that quite yet. But nevertheless, it's still a path to a future for crypto art that I think you and I are similar in that we've envisioned, but that we've never perhaps seen the actual like rainbow road to. Um, and it's windy and there's plenty of places where it could plummet off the sides, but there's a way forward to an ideal crypto art. Um, I mean, these are things that we were always talking about in the beginning, right? Like we know this idea is coming and we knew Apple was working on it, right? And we knew that there would be like auction houses interested in this market, right? And we're getting perhaps to the idea of there faster than maybe we had expected. You know, the idea of the museum is that it is going to be like transposable across and upgradable as digital environments emerge, Right, because the digital artifact is permanent and it can travel. So, you know, that's why it's kind of like it operates in like fits and starts in like failed experiments and successful experiments of like what works and trying this. And, and you know, it's all about kind of like fitting into these new environments, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, is why it has to almost be like open access and permissionless and anybody has the ability to take anything and do anything because you need that like remixable attitude in order for it to be successful. Of course, but there's always got to be like a tip of the spear, right? And I think Apple is in a prime position to be the tip of the spear, at least to demystify all of this stuff so that all of the things that we love can come in. I, I mean, I, I feel like I'm contradicting myself even after I say this, you know, all the things afterwards that we love, the decentralization and the options and the aesthetic weirdness can come in afterwards. But you bring up a good point, which is, you know, I'm not sure that Apple presents VR slash AR. Apple presents VR slash AR is the best idea because we know that Apple, while their products work wonderfully, they're incredibly proprietary. And while we know that Apple's aesthetics are beautiful, they're very sleek, very efficient, very uniform, and can be very boring. Um, and I think that one of the things I love about crypto art and the aesthetics of crypto art is that it doesn't 
feel like the gray, square, smooth, reflective, cookie-cutter aesthetics of every environment around me that's being built, right? It is, like, modern in a way that is eclectic and eccentric. And I don't know. I've always said it's like a great glut as opposed to being having all of its individuality washed away in favor of this universalized sleekness. I mean, that is such a good point. Like where does Apple's closed garden and ability or in desire to control all elements of like design and aesthetic end, and where do they allow people to come in and bring in their own? Um, You know, I don't know if like Sam Rolfs and his like VR puppetry is going to make it into the Apple app store. Right. Um, You know, and you can start to think of like, it gets very, very personal when the screen is here. Right. And the immersion and the data collection from the eye tracking to what your face is doing to what they can begin to like trigger as, and then having it tied to whatever, like blood pressure, if you're wearing the Apple watch. So suddenly we're like really in a step before, right before like brain computer interface Um, where you are tied so closely to the machine, but the machine as the corporation, right? And we seem to very much be like barreling to this Neuralink BCI future where, you know, there are going to be like upgradable humans. And it's almost to the, to the point where, we 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 have humans so upgraded that it just further widens the gap between what those have that have access to this and like what those don't that don't that's next level thinking right and i and i think that i think it's really important to talk about it with that kind of like very futuristic tones because one of the things i noticed from from vision pro and one of the things i want to get more into is that it seems that this product contains all the technology that we knew we have or we knew we had but was lacking from elsewhere in the in the the vr market right when you actually look at the specs and it's got all of these cameras and all of this wizardry with lenses and with you know ai face scanning and things it is this combination of all these disparate technological parts that at least when i have been thinking about ai and vr and talking about it, i've, I've said well, we have all of these things why can't we build it the smartest people in the world can't build these things well turns out they could they did and they were um and and, and it for me puts in it recontextualizes and reasserts the fact that I don't really know what's going on in the tech world. I don't really know what's possible and available because it's hidden behind layers and layers of NDAs until some grand reveal and announcement can be made, which is obviously dangerous when it comes to like crypto art, which is such a small and earnest in a lot of parts. And I think because of that manipulable market is that, we on the whole as writers and curators and artists want to be left alone to do the stuff that we love, but we're working in an ecosystem that is so much more grandiose and perhaps terrifying than we could possibly be aware of. So, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about in this podcast with you was our visions for the ideal future of, of crypto art. But now that we've set it up like this, I'm not sure that we can even have an ideal version of crypto art 
or or talk about it without also talking about the dystopic version of crypto art that is just a hair's breadth from you know us falling into like that apocalypse at any given time so maybe before we can well it's 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 this closed closed garden uh mindsets right it's the fact that like meta wanted to take a 40% cut of everything that you created in whatever their their metaverse is it was like 49 and a half percent right you know and and apple is notorious for i think like the 30% fees that it charges on its app store um so when somebody controls like the rails of distribution that is really what blockchain and crypto art was fighting against right we have to open up the ability to distribute we have to open up the ability to own um and nft does that as an, a very interesting medium now you know but what is the difference between just random example like paying three dollars to go into like the fewo world app in vision pro or like owning an edition of 10,000 of that world. So like you can visit and customize it in your Mm -hmm. own way, maybe experientially nothing, but the fact of the matter is, is like in one scenario, you actually own something. And in the other scenario, you actually don't. And I think time and time again, people have proven that they don't care about ownership. Maybe that like day of reckoning is finally coming but I, I think we really have to like begin to think about what it means to be so tied heavily into these like corporate ecosystems. Mm. You know, it's interesting to hear you talk about this because I, I love how your mind automatically goes to, you know, distribution mechanisms and access and like decentralization. And I think that one of the things that separates you and I is that I'm way more naive uh, and my brain automatically goes to aesthetics, right? So you talk about, you know, this, possible future uh, fuocious fuel world um vision pro app right and my first thought is like what an absolute absolutely powerful aesthetic experience that is no doubt going to be um and it's going to be an equally powerful aesthetic experience when all of the things that the immersiveness of vision pro are going to allow to come to fruition actually do um, I wrote a piece last year called Crypto Art Dreams of the Metaverse, and it was kind of talking about, I, I spoke with Metagice and Natural Warp and Rafik Anadol and Sky Golpe, who all had worked with virtual world technologies in various degrees at various times. You know, Metagice and Natural Warp, that's like their whole you know, deal is working with you know, Mona and, and um, Somnium Space and these other kind of like uh, metaverse worlds. But the point being is that the kind of aesthetic expression that you can get in these environments is incredible. Um, Sky Goldbase called it, uh, he said, we're going to have a new wave of like life designers, right. Who are going to be able to design these experiences for like immersive um, ways of experiencing artistry, right. Uh, Where every site, every sound is kind of designed and tailored based on like an aesthetic framework. And I, think about that and it's so wonderful and I idealize it, but you're so right in that it's a completely different conversation to talk about those kinds of aesthetic revolutions. If perchance 
you can't access them unless Apple is receiving their 40% cut of every purchase somebody makes on it or every purchase of a piece of crypto artwork that is going to be displayable in one of the apps on um, a Vision Pro. And that's a really dicey conversation because I'm not sure that maybe you can even have the aesthetic development without a proportional level of capitalist control. You know, it's 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 an it, it it kind of goes back even to the the X copy cracked piece that you wrote about today, right? Like, where do you kind of put faith in the longevity of that asset existing, right? You know, will you always have access to like the IPFS or or could it break because somebody doesn't maintain it, right? Or will Apple always kind of like keep that so so the digital as much as we don't really think that it needs care like it needs a lot of care think of all the ways the internet have changed has changed in the last like 20 30 years it's just in my opinion it's not as good right it's not as it's not as free it's not as open you can't like find the things because you know like the Every everything like that gets great, it gets closed down, right? So, and it's also of- not nearly as fun. I mean, the the comparison between MySpace, which was intensely uh, intensely customizable and very personality driven, to Facebook, which is intensely uniform and right. and uh, anesthetized aesthetically, uh, and and humans continue to search for that novelty. It's curious, like you 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 think about the ideal vision, right? And like, assume you get to have one world that you show people, right? And the world that I had thought of was like this idea of a museum of crypto art, right? Here are all these artifacts, but like, what is that one world that you would create? Like, would you surround yourself with all these like artifacts of nostalgia? That's kind of what Vision a Pro was appealing to, right? You would bring in your photos and you would sit there on your couch and you would just like scroll your photos, right? But I don't do that, you know? I'm, I'm curious what these worlds that we want to create and share with each other are. Certainly, it feels like it's going to be nostalgia driven. Like when I see these works, you know, they all come with their own story. They come with their own baggage. I'm reminded of a lot of things that does trace like it's certainly a development and growth and part of, of me. Well, um, I, you know, I think that one of the things that we're going to be able to discuss about the Vision Pro that perhaps the like a layperson or you know tech based community that's not artistic is not going to be able to talk about is when I was watching that presentation. You know, you look at all of these things that this artifact or this uh, new technology is going to be able to do, and it's just phone things. Mm-hmm. Right. When I think of the kinds of artistry that are going to be available, I think specifically of uh, Easter Tray, for example, mm-hmm. right? Having sculptural or architectural objects scattered around the world in places that you may not expect, uh, in places that otherwise you may seek out. But it's another layer of artistry that you could place upon you know, the world we live in, right? Maybe fewer world in this idea isn't a vr realm maybe it's 
you know, skins placed on buildings in New York uh, to a soundtrack that changes based on every city block um, with art pieces that are just scattered around, but they're in AR, um, which is just this, uh, you know, any kind of bizarre experience that you could possibly imagine that just requires you to be able to see it should theoretically be able to come to life in some kind of an AR mindset. Well, this is like, yeah. Even, even beyond that, once you begin to put like AI into characters, right. And suddenly mm. you have a character that is speaking with you and you could have like a whole fantasy adventure AI driven story that is like based on your needs, based on what it knows about you. If your if your heart rate is heart rate is increasing, you're getting excited. It knows you like this. It can begin to play with this, right? So you can begin to create exceptionally elaborate, fully immersive scenarios that are done in like a particular artist's style. And but but then it's just soma, man. Like by then you are just like gone, living in your own fantasy world. Well, let me uh, let me counterpoint by saying that I think we already have soma. Um, Except I think it just sucks, right? At least that Soma is fun. And I'm not saying that we should turn away <laughs> from the world, right? But at least yeah. that is an in, seems like an enjoyable and creative way to stimulate one's uh, latent urge to uh, turn away from real life hardships and such. But all we have now is TikTok and Instagram and Twitter, which are just, you know, we call it doom scrolling for a reason. That's yeah. our Soma. But we right? also We're- have like Tears of the Kingdom and Diablo 4 mm-hmm. and people are just like... I played Tears of the Kingdom. You like could not pull me off of that thing because it's so free. It's so open and it's only going to be like exponential. But get me to Tears of the Kingdom. Get me into video games as opposed to me sinking my time on Twitter. Right. I I think we all have this cognitive dissonance between all the time we spend on social media and the amount we hate social media. I hate social media. I hate the time I spend on it. I yeah. know it doesn't enrich me. There's things I find within it that I can't get elsewhere. But at least when I'm playing video games, it's it's peaking some something in me that isn't just dopamine rush after dopamine rush after dopamine rush. And I think when when I conceptualize this like future ideal crypto art, it's not just artists creating these scenarios so as to sink us in their creations for as much time as possible. It's Artists like the very many artists we know who are interested in creativity and are interested in beauty and are interested in egalitarian experience, Mm. showing us versions of existence that maybe we couldn't see otherwise, right? Mm. There's always going to be these artists who are not concerned with capitalistic urges, right? They may make lots of money anyway, but they don't want our time for eight hours a day. They don't want us to be playing the vision pro version of tears of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. They want us to experience a little scantling of their soul for however long we want to experience it. Mm. And then we can turn to something else and it'll be there when we want it, whether that's to be collected, whether that's to be subscribed to, you know, who knows the consumer model, but there are versions of this that are just really enriching on like a mental, spiritual, universal level. Uh, and I and I think that's what the promise of Vision Pro at all is to me, right? It is the first time I'm seeing with a certain time horizon and at a certain price point, the opportunity to 
enter into an artist's world in a way that is simply, for the most part, inaccessible today? I think it's there. I know the promise of the experience is there because I lived it, right? And, and, and we were creating these things and, you know, we moved away from these things to try and open up into an idea of accessibility through like browser based. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm like exceptionally proud of the development work that we did inside of VR uh, because those experiences actually were truly magical and transformative. And there is like a sense of wonder that takes you out of whatever the, the doom scrolling paradigm that made it very, very web three as opposed to web two. Well, I mean, I think we throw around that term web three so often. Uh, and I think in some senses it's really odious, but the point of web three is it's the theoretical way that it's going to bring people together, right? It links people uh, in like underlying ways. It takes our individualized internet experience and it expands it outward. The blockchain does that by linking our experiences together in a single historical timeline, right? But spatial web does that by bringing us into contact with other people. Um, When I wrote that piece, the one I mentioned before, brief history of virtual values, one of the most stunning things that I learned in researching it is just how isolated people are when using the internet as they do today. Every activity we do on the internet is even activities like online dating, which are primed to get you off of the internet. You do solitarily whilst whilst using the internet until they, you know, come to fruition with like an in-person meeting. But you know, one of the things that I love about um, the stories I've heard about these early crypto voxels and Somnium space um, situations and, and experiences is that they were, you know, there were people experiencing them together. You know, um, Matt from Nifty Gateway and Rizzle, they do the WIT meetup. Uh, and that is always a connective experience. It is physically connective with other people. Uh, you know, it's been going on for years. And I think about that. I think about um, the times we as a Mocha team have met in a HyperFi world and, you know, jumped around as certain avatars and just kind of been, I don't know, a little childlike in mm-hmm. the way we jump around and put on ridiculous costumes. What happens when that is that functionality is no longer pigeonholed in the technologically adept? That's really what's exciting to me. That's like the real promise of spatial web is that we are actually experiencing all of this, but with each other in real time you know it's not people watching this on twitter or on twitch or on youtube it's us in some kind of space with our audience around us and we're looking at each other and we're talking to each other and i can't even conceptualize the way the artistry is interwoven with that experience but of course it's interwoven because it will always be there when multiple groups of people form a community they'll want to express the feeling of that community in unique and personalized ways yeah, you know, I'm interesting. Or You're I'm interesting. interesting. <laughs> I'm interested in this like meta architect future where, you know, there is the ability for like programmed AI versions of yourself to be participatory in each of these communities, right? I wish I was more active with punks. Like, I wish I was more active with nouns, right? Like, I align with these ethos, I align with these people, but I do not have the time to sit in the chat, right? So if I was able like every day to get a summary of the activities 
and then go like set an objective for an AI bot to kind of like get done and it would come back and report to me like that is very interesting. I'm, I'm very the the convergence of like AI crypto and AR VR together is something new. This is a brand new world, right? We have a new world in design. We have a new world in finance, right? And we have a new like critical model for like how interaction and thinking occurs. That to me is where I get, I feel like those are the three core things that really create this like parallel layer to this plane of reality. Interesting. Uh, you know, I, I even hearing you talk about like the, the punks and the nouns, right. And like jumping in and out of these chats, it's such a different experience. I imagine it would be a different experience if it wasn't a boxy discord display, but was a yeah. place that you could visit that you could physically be in. Even if you weren't doing anything there, you could be in it. Right. Like, that's like the power of these headsets, right? Is you could be working at your desk and your punks could, all the people could be over here in a little desktop world that you're looking at in real time and people can arrive and they can say hi and you can have, you know, momentary chats like you were in an office and you were passing by cubicles. And then you know, imagine that with creativity, right? I, I don't do any artist collaboration right now outside of like Google Docs, but even with that, you know, I, I do my work and I send it to you and you do your work and we, that's collaboration, but it's not being with each other. It's not telling jokes as we're working on the same document. It's not bouncing ideas off each other in real time the way I would when I was a kid working on projects with my best friend for school and we'd be in the same room and we'd just be kind of like laying around shooting the shit, you know, wisecracking. And that would all make its way into the final product the creativity good or bad as the final product was would be so much more present because yeah. it was a part of the collaborative process. So I, I, I hear, I, I see all of these difficulties that you have in maintaining these communities and I have them too. I mean, even just think of the way Twitter DMS are set up, it's but a mess. Yeah. But if these things were physically spread out around us at any given time, uh, you know, and you're jumping into, you know, quasi-physical digital spaces, just how much more robust our ability to interact, how much more real our ability to interact in these spaces becomes and how much more real the things we're experiencing therein become. You don't like that. Do you, I don't know. Do you think it becomes more real? Is that like the is that like the use of the time that you want, like because you can suddenly see these other people and maybe because you can see how they represent themselves, you can feel a more like aligned connection with them. It's a good question, but I think, yes. I, and the reason I say it is because I, I think I, I think we all have interactions online that feel real in certain ways, maybe not real in how we're actually interacting with the interaction but real in the effects they have on us. Um, you know, this is a real conversation that you and I are having as if we're in the same room, but there is a lack of that togetherness because at any given point I can switch to a different tab at any point. I can look around the room and see things unrelated to this conversation, unrelated to the environment. And if I were more immersed in this conversation, it's not that this would feel more real, but it would feel more present. I would be more present in it as opposed to what I think we have now, which is a forced dual consciousness 
between whatever we're looking at on a screen and whatever we're aware of outside of that screen. Um, I can't not look at the books on my desk and, you know, all these cluttered knickknacks spread around in this glass of water and my phone. I can't not be aware of those things while I'm looking at the screen. And even the screen, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine tabs open. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that itself doesn't change, but by adding a level of immersiveness in it, I think you get something more akin to real life with a phone as opposed to where the context is that you have this space that you're inhabiting with a digital outlet. I think that that's a lot different than, I don't know, having a digital space that you're trying, you're putting all of your focus in to the detriment of the physical space around you. Does that make any sense? Yes, but I'm not sure I necessarily agree. Um, Take me to town. What do you got? No, I don't know. You know, I think it's, it's hard to begin to solve these problems of like loneliness and people not connecting by insisting that we don't like pull out of these devices, but actually the truth is that we have to go deeper and we have to like close. We have to take over all the sensory aspects. It's, it is like very much a, a question of like Soma and the matrix and like the realities that we will be constructing for ourselves and perhaps like an increased fearfulness of, or maybe it's an inherent evolutionary fearfulness mm-hmm. of the outside world and like the other person and like probably latent fears of, of what it means to like encounter a stranger yeah, it's almost like you're tricking the the brain into like a sense of control, right? Like almost like utmost control. And maybe that's what all of these companies are trying to like drive the the cost down to is just how do you ultimately have complete control over your environment? There's definitely insidiousness within this, right? I, I, I think we can't have this conversation without looking at it like, you know, it's, it's the equivalent of browsers, right? There's always going to be an internet, but then we're going to have to access that internet through X, right? Vision Pro is one example, but there will be others. There will be other ones. There'll be cheaper ones. There'll be ones with less functionality. There'll be ones with lower frame rate that glitch more. There'll be, a, there's a Vision Pro for, or a equivalent for every situation, every type of person at the you know, conclusion of this development. But just like when I use Chrome, I'm aware that every single thing I do is being logged by Google and surveilled by Google and their advertising partners. Like that is the, that is something I am aware of that I'm not happy with, but nevertheless, it's what I do. We have to be wary that that does not continue in more profound ways because like you mentioned before, once we start integrating AI with this thing, and once they're able to get readings on how we speak, how we move, where our eyeballs are looking, our heart rate, things like that. Um, back to this conversation with Philip Rosedale I did last year, he was very confident that if you have a VR headset, you can tell whether somebody's on the spectrum within moments. Yeah, You can tell whether someone's depressed within moments. Yeah, And once we start giving that information with a complete level of statistical significance to whoever is offering us these devices. That's when things start to get 
really scary. Um, I am also aware that at any given moment, artistry can be used as a way to entrap people who are interested in artistry into making that decision, that leap to use this technology and give up that information, right? You and I are always going to be people who care deeply about art and digital art and whatever's on the cutting edge of this stuff because it's the environment we're, I guess, bred into or predisposed to. That will at some point be weaponized. Whether we collectively as a society make our peace with that weaponization once we see what its outputs are, um, just like I still use Facebook despite the ads because I know that I don't buy anything off Facebook anyway. You know, maybe once we know the downstream, it's a little bit easier for us to make our peace with that. But we're definitely going to be, we're going to be flying blind before we can make an educated decision. And there will be those who are okay flying blind. There will be those who are okay only after they can make an educated decision. Um, but I mean, excuse me rambling, but I do want to return to a point you said about like going deeper as a method to connection, because I actually, I, I disagree with you or disagreeing with me. I do think that's the way through. Um, to me, spending time online is just the reality of the world we live in. It's not changing, right? Six to eight hours of everyone's day, every day is going to be spent in some kind of a quasi-digital world. The issue today that I feel is that there is no escape from that being a solitary experience. You can't have a, a, a non-solitary experience in the current iteration of the internet. So maybe you do have to go deeper, but maybe that deeper is really a, a widening. And I don't really know what it looks like necessarily when you have an internet where you're with others at any given time, but it's got to be better than what we have now, right? It's entirely possible. I think like the visions that are presented to us in the past about what it is are ultimately the things that we will manifest. And I kind of believe it will be ready player one esque, right? Mm -hmm. You just continue to like turn up the dial on like the competition of capitalism, right? Of like survival of the fittest. You have to be logged in the most, like you have to be like grinding the most and that is why I think like teenage girl suicide is at all time highs, right? And like there are like epidemics of perception because people are being exposed to things that just aren't real. And the people that are like creating that content are also like very unhappy doing so, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not like, it's not going to be like six to eight hours. It's going to be like 16 to 18 hours. You know, and I think the idea that the, the idea that like hard work, we know this for a while, that like hard work and the American dream, like these ideals don't really exist anymore. You mm -hmm. know, so you have to find like other ways to differentiate yourself and people are doing all sorts of crazy and wild stuff. So I think that gets accelerated. Um, yeah, it's 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 scary. It goes into uh, like neil stevenson territory where just like even you know like the death of celebrity culture where everything just becomes like a two-week fad mm -hmm. right and you get these big like just rolling cycles of so i don't know you know that's i i grapple with these things a lot if 
if people are just excited by novelty, right? Do you um do you think that the introduction of systems like this are going to ultimately be a good or a bad for crypto art? Uh, because at one point it's like it's the opening of a pathway. A lot of people have wanted to be open, but it has these. So what excited me about crypto art was the idea that there was like ownership, right? That we could transition people who make digital content away from like the rent seeking platforms of Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and into economic models where their output could be uh, owned by them. It could be simultaneous. They could simultaneously decide what to do with it. Uh, and they would have like carry on rights through the smart contract. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I think the NFT is a wonderfully broad box that you can begin to package a lot of different things into. And that is really exciting because it provides ownership. Right. And ownership is something that I think people get to experience less and less of. Um, but ownership is really how you like build wealth. Although in this, you know, climate, it's not always true. It's about the attention that you could momentarily leverage. That could be how you build wealth, right? It's this, it's, it's the total opposite. Um, you know, you can own an asset that increases in value or you can capitalize on yourself as an asset. And that's like the whole business model of the entire digital world is, you know, a not only how many eyeballs can I get, but if I am able to capture a significant amount of eyeballs, how can I maximize, you know, that output or that, uh, yeah, that like economic output, right? And you're trying to constantly, like you said, with the death of celebrity culture, you're trying to constantly foment these waves of attention because it is through that very fleeting attention that you can continue to like sap money out of the ecosystem. You know, that's like every influencer, that's every YouTube star. That's the whole social media game. How often can I get attention? And if I have it, what can I do with it? Yeah, but you see the extremes that it pushes people into, like clearly illegal things or like clearly not moral things, whether, you know, we've, we've talked about like what Ben ETH did with PSYOP token or what Polly did with like you get nothing.eth, you know, like people sending money because they want they are desperate and they you know want a chance and i don't know what people are thinking when they do these things or if it's entirely just fake and orchestrated that there, there's also you know there is a performative aspect to these things that goes up against the idea that there is like re reality and an ownership layer so at at both ends you continue to get like stretched and stretched and stretched I mean, on, a, on one level, at least as it relates back to Vision Pro, we're going to be able to have performance art online in a way that we've never had before. Well, then a lot of character playing, a lot of role playing, a lot of assumption of, of new identities and skins and exploration. Yeah. But there's just so much more opportunity for art to enter into. Well, Other we had this conversation like, last week, right? It's, it's, just, it's like everything has been boiled down kind of to generative art. Yeah, to a point. Maybe that's like... I or at least that's, that's where, that's where the, the, the market has boiled it down to. Well, it's, very, it's still very, like we said, like it's new and it's exciting and it's interesting, especially because the layperson like myself doesn't understand it. But it is also outside of like the abstract element, right? 
you know, when we take generative art to its logical conclusion, we get something bordering AI. Um, and I know that like uh, data had their uh, data gam um, mint today, which is wonderful, but like the output from that AI is unique to Alexander Rebin and to Datagan, just as we can look at a, you know, a Videodrome piece and know that that AI is output by Videodrome. Um, it's very rare within the context of AI, but just because it's generative or just because it's procedural or algorithmic or, or AI doesn't mean it doesn't have the fingerprints of the artists who um, are, are putting it out there. And I think that's the marker of a really talented AI artist. I feel this with Claire Silver. I feel this with Current 4D. When you look at their artwork, even though it's vastly different in color scheme and aesthetics and, um, and subject matter, there are their fingerprints over the thing. I, I, I don't know how that manifests in a VR AR world, but there are, is always going to be a thirst for wonderful artistry, not just on the uh, collector side, but on the creative side. Right, we will have people who are going to take this technology, the Vision Pro, who are going to hack it or you know jailbreak it in a sense, and are going to create new artistic systems with it because that is what they are called to do with, you know, whatever avenues they're able to do it. Uh, question for you b- before we go. Sure. Do you think we have these certain attitudes because of the age we are? Um, these like fears about Apple and such. I I I often wonder if I think. Know, I think yeah. I think we sit at an interesting cusp of like perhaps the right amount of paranoia, right? I don't think like perhaps our our parents' generation, like 60s, 70s, hippies into like the 80s was like as fearful of like the corporate machine that they were creating probably because there was like a parallel in uh, like socialism that existed at the time, right? And this was kind of, but I think now like capitalism's one and I think we are probably not fearful enough, right? And I think like the younger generation is like existentially fearful to the point where they like cannot act independently, hmm. right? I think there is a lot more like virtue signaling and value alignment and falling in under influencer umbrellas so i don't think there's like enough dissent there but i think they're literally like paralyzed with fear you know there's something uh that feels completely appropriate about us starting out on this topic aiming to talk about the uh utopic ideal version of crypto art and the last thing we're talking about is like Oh, we're not fearful enough. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know. You know, I, uh, it's these things that I don't know. You know, I, I think it does come back down to that question is like, can you, can you get closer by going deeper into this technological abyss? Yeah. And, and I, and you also have to have the double consciousness of understanding that while we work in a space that is based in the most human, most virtuosic, most pure and ideal act a human can theoretically do, which is create artistry, right? Try and share their reality using some kind of means. It can't be unmarried from violent economic forces around it. Uh, And, you know, any larger discussion of, uh, 
uh, of what we're doing has to be meted out appropriately based on you know the larger conditions like tony morrison said you know all art is political art so maybe we just can't avoid that all crypto art is either like anti-capital or hyper-capital art can you give one example of each <laughs> probably i mean it's so interesting you know i think crypto is both it's both like a rejection and 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 like an ultimate embrace of this system right it just decides to put everything on steroids in like the ultimate mirror parody yeah it's like that pet chimpanzee that like lived in that lady's house and then went fucking nuts did you know that was the the guy that i worked for really i worked worked in that primate cognition lab herb terrace he was the one who put the chimpanzee in the woman's house on the upper uh west side in the 70s hold on you worked Wait, so how close were you when that whole thing went down? Like, Well, that was in the 70s. With so the lady was... getting beaten to death by the monkey? No, he was like the first person to put a monkey in a human household and like, and he did it on the Upper West Side. Dr. Oh, Herb Terrace, yeah. Good guy? He was, he was, yeah, I don't, I mean, I, I don't, I don't have the ability to make a judgment on his moral fiber. Make a moral was... judgment on this man. <laughs> You are literally surrounded by cherubs as if you are like some deity himself. Make a moral judgment. Cast him down to the fires of hell or up into the... He seemed like um, just, you know, like one of those tenured professors who's like, it'll probably be me, you know? My great experiments in crypto art will have occurred now and in 30 years... Someone's going to get killed because of them. I'll just be like, (laughs) looking back at this dystopic mess swiping photos of the collection in my vision pro you know like xxv Mm -hmm. and picking out which uh tweed suit to wear to your tenure meeting yeah yeah exactly exactly your online fully immersive vision and i'll be i'll be kind of like sleepy and tired and you know i'll be consulting people under me and saying like you know you're doing a great job a plus is a plus work and to everyone out there, you are also doing A-plus work. Great job. Uh, great job listening to this and great job being with us today. Um, Colburn, do you have anything you want to say about basketball? We haven't mourned my Celtics yet. Um, I don't know. What is it? I would like the Heat to win. Actually, I take that back. I would like Denver to win. I actually don't really care who wins. Wow, that was a roller coaster, huh? Yeah. That's what I have well, to say. Well, uh, I've gotten over the heartbreak of my beloved Celtics losing in seven games to the Miami Heat. And I'm, I think, with you in a lot of ways. I see the historical implications of if Denver winning, what that does to uh, my ability to watch a generational player like Nikola Jokic ascend mm-hmm. fully onto the mountaintop. But I also understand that if the Heat win, we are in for a new paradigm shift in how the NBA is played, which is always exciting to me. Um, I think I love the NBA for the same reason that I love crypto art, which is you are constantly watching history being made. You're constantly watching legacies be built. You're constantly watching intrigue and drama and uh, without necessarily having to be a part of it. So, but yes, uh, the Celtics lost and that broke my heart. I'm actually, I I fall asleep now watching uh, old videos of the 2008 uh, Celtics lakers championship season um, Damn, that is depressing yeah it's really it's really bleak over here yeah and one day i hope i can put on that vision pro and i can sit courtside 
fake courtside at the old 2008 Celtics championship games. You'll be there. Well, probably not the old ones, but you'll be in the new ones. God willing. Colburn, any last words before we let the people go? Um, if you've made it this far, you're an A-plus listener. We will be back next week with some more uh, super interesting podcasting. God willing. Thanks for being with us this week. And uh, we'll talk to you all real soon. Same bad time, same bad channel. Colborne, say goodbye to the people. Goodbye, people. Goodbye, people. Thanks for being with us. <laughs>